I'm Desiree. And I'm Taylor. You're tuned into Birthkeeper Banter, a space to discuss powerful birth stories, radical birthkeeping, and all things birth outside of the box. This podcast is produced by Herbal Training, and nothing discussed should be considered medical advice because birth is not a medical event. For classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. guys, welcome to this episode of Birthkeeper Banter. We are here with Heather. She's going to be telling us about her VBAC. Um, this was her second birth. Um, the first was a requested cesarean, and she'll explain that more. Um, but basically, Heather, can you start from your first baby and how your mindset was there, and then share about why their birth ultimately led to a cesarean for you? Okay. Um, so I was 32 when I got pregnant, um, and started out, it was unexpected, but we were going to get married in the future. Um, but like we weren't trying, but we weren't not trying. And, um, at the time I was very religious, not very religious, but I was very indoctrinated in that way. So I didn't believe about having a child out of wood like that. That was important, but also insurance wise, if you're on state insurance, sometimes you tended to be treated less than than if you're on, you know, paid insurance. Um, so that was a factor also. So we got married. Um, I wanted to see section always ever since I, I was old enough to understand birth because my mother was traumatized from birth. Maybe my grandmother possibly because, you know, back in the sixties, they used to knock women out etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> um i ended up so when i asked for the c section i was actually told no um which is funny to me especially now knowing you know the cascade of interventions and everything however um when it came down to it he was breached and near the end of my pregnancy they were giving me an ultrasound every week when I ended up in the hospital after I went into, cause I went into labor spontaneously on my own. Um, and by the time I made it to the hospital, just before if for the four hours before they cut him out of me, I had two ultrasounds for them to verify. And he was breached all of it. And in, there was a difference in both pregnancies cause he stayed head up most of the time. Whereas his hiccups were always way down in my pelvis. Her hiccups were always way up below my breastbone. Um, but he ended up being breached. So my last prenatal appointment that I made it to was a Friday and it was a alternating group of doctors. You know how they do. We're just numbers. You know, you never see the same person. Nine times out of 10, you might not even know the doctor who's uh, so-called delivering your baby. Um, and the lady that came in was like, oh my God, he's breached. Have we scheduled your C-section? And of course I'm confused at this point. Cause I'm like, well, I asked for a C-section and y'all told me no. And then that's the last that's been mentioned to me. And she's like freaking out because I'm 38 weeks at this point, according to, you know, the guest date. And she's like, well, we need to get the C-section on the books. Um, so they schedule it for the following Friday or Sunday. I can't remember. And I went into labor spontaneously on my own that following Sunday. So two days later, I didn't even realize I was in labor until my water broke. Uh, we were actually, ironically enough, Desiree, we were in Pennsylvania. I lived in Frederick, Maryland at that time. And we were headed up to Gettysburg to meet his mother. Um, 
my water broke. So we turned around. I was under the impression that you, um, couldn't shower. So I went home, took a shower. Um, even when we went to the hospital, I didn't feel like contractions were bad until after we got to the hospital, but I was so far along. They stopped my labor twice or they injected me to slow it down. Um, and I ended up with what they termed an emergency C-section, but I personally don't term it that way because it was always what I expected and knew what was going to happen. Um, as far as the C-section, everything, I'm very lucky. I have no adverse effects, no other than having a panic attack on the operating table. And I had a adverse reaction to the spinal block. Uh, face got all blotchy for like 24 hours after, and I was very itchy. Um, and then as far as like my mindset to having the VBAC and a free birth, um, just learning about life in general, you know? <laughs> awesome. So what was it about free birthing and having a VBAC that appealed to you after going from like more of the mainstream mindset where you like, you just wanted a cesarean and everything was just kind of, you were on the natural route yet. So um, what switched it for you? So I guess the start down that path would have been when I was pregnant with my son and I started looking into baby products and looking at the back of baby products and reading the ingredients and thinking, why the fuck is alcohol in this? You know, why is this, what is this necessary for? Um, and so that kind of led me down slowly, uh, a more natural minded, holistic path in that way, realizing how many toxins are, you know, it started looking at baby products and then it led to looking at ingredients and everything else, obviously. Um, and then slowly, but surely I feel like once you fall down the rabbit hole of seeking truth, and then you learn that we've been lied to about everything. Um, obviously I learned all the things about birth and not just birth. I don't think led me down it. Um, more also fear of hospitals and deathbeds and knowing what the medical mafia was, being able to look back at after my son was born, how I was treated um, because my babies are termed small, but we run small in my family when we're born. We don't carry large babies. We're five, six, seven pounds. Um, but like I was asked after my son was born, did I smoke cigarettes because he was small? Um, there was a comment made when I was on the operating table, as they were giving me the spinal block, the nurse that was holding my shoulders was like, are you sure you're nine months pregnant? Cause you don't look like it. Bitch, really? I'm in labor. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what is that to say? I mean, um, so as far as the free birth, I didn't intend, like when I started down that path, I was going to get a midwife. Um, and then when I started looking in, after we found out that I was pregnant, um, and I had started looking into it prior to, cause I actually got the fertility testing done. I had my eggs and follicles checked. My husband had his sperm motility, all of that checked. And then I had a, um, the dye test, the HSG dye test. And I was pregnant within three months, probably within two months. Um, and so once I really started looking at midwives in my area and reached out to a few, the <laughs> response that I got back was essentially, we care more about our licensure and I'm more medical minded. I mean, so that kind of blew my mind. And that's actually when I met Desiree <laughs> was when I was faltering there. What am I going to do? Um, and then once I started educating myself about birth, um, 
I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, how did humanity make it this far <laughs> if I can't do this? Um, and then that led me to just have, and I had a doula, uh, which I don't regret. She was also a photographer, um, but she definitely brought some, the only trauma that was attached to my birth was from her, truth be told. <laughs> wow that's wild so during the pregnancy did she give like any kind of weird vibes or no no I I I really like her I love her to death I don't really fault her per se I feel like it's more her experience and her scope and just the birth industry the home birth industry especially here in the Indianapolis area um you can't fault somebody for what they don't know so I feel like she learned from it and I don't feel like she'll ever do to somebody else what happened to me, but I was only her second free birth. So the fact that she was even willing to attend a free birth in my area is um, like people that attend, it's hard to find here. It's very discouraged in my area. That does make sense. And I remember talking to her as well. And it really was, it was just, she didn't know. And you know, placentas don't typically take over five hours. I've seen it a few times, but it's not as common. So it wasn't crazy that she maybe didn't know that and maybe was alarmed like okay yep I'm not versed on this so yeah I think that she had really good intention and yeah she probably went forward and I mean I mean there is obviously I'm I missed that little bit of a golden hour so that makes me want to have another birth but um you know she told me after seven hours to seek uh to go to the hospital And so I said, well, what happens if I go to the hospital, you know, because after having a free birth and doing everything I did to accomplish that learning study, you know, everything that went into that, um, the last thing, like hospital is life or death. That's it. And that's in my life in general. You know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) my daughter's never seen a doctor other than a chiropractor, but she said that I would have a DNC. And I was very familiar with that procedure because my little sister has had two. She was given the HPV vaccine when she was a kid. And that I'm quite sure that's what caused a lot of her um, miscarriage issues and things that happened a few years later in her life. Um, But I was like, no way, no way. And I told her no. And I said, you know, I read stories, uh, read experiences of women that took up to seven days to birth their placenta and everything was perfectly fine. Now that was the odd thing out, but I had read that. And, um, so I reached out to Desiree and that, um, so, you know, I didn't go and I also to look back on it, to be able to reflect as it's almost, it's nine months later, I feel like, and, and just me continuing to educate myself about birth in general, because I, I'm called to go into birth keeping. I can't even say it's something that I want to do. I can't keep from it apparently, (laughs) but, um, I wasn't ready for my pregnancy to be done. Like she came sooner than I expected. And so I think probably that also played into me holding onto it for a little longer than most people do, because it is a psychological thing in some cases. Um, but I wasn't, she administered the womb string. Uh, Let's see which was out of her scope. She never should have. And I should have known better. I did know better about the tinctures, but like right after you popped a baby out, you're not even in your own body yet. You're like a passenger in your body. Somebody else is operating it. Um, 
and I just kind of blindly followed along, which is not me, not my personality. Um, but in that moment, you're so vulnerable. <laughs> it's like you're one of the most vulnerable times I would say in all of our lives. Um, she reached out to a fellow doula. I don't know if the doula was this air. It was in this area. I'm actually curious about that. And she was told to give me shepherd's purse, which I had the womb string, which contained the shepherd's purse. So after about two to three hours, she gave me that. So that probably caused me to hold on to it longer. Um, and then she left. I had multiple people tell me that I had a rotting organ inside of me. I needed to get to um, an ER stat. Um, I was going to, nobody actually said I was going to die, but that was absolutely implied. Um, we waited. I stay, pretty much stayed up that whole first night, freaked out. All I could think about was if this, if I do have to go to the hospital, obviously they're going to cut me open. You know, that's like a major surgery, a DNC. Um, they're going to put me on drugs. How does that work for my baby? My big thing for my new baby was to my mother and my husband. She's not to be admitted. They are not to fucking touch her at all ever. Um, you know, it was very stressful. Um, and then I did talk to Desiree multiple times during that time. Um, and I would go squat in the shower. Um, and it's funny because I ended up taking, um, an edible. I want to say that next day, finally, um, and just tried to relax the best that I could and be as relaxed as I could. Um, and about, I don't know, one o'clock the next day, <laughs> I thought I had to go pee. And I, I knew also like overnight, I didn't pee fully. Like I would pee, but my bladder wouldn't release. And by the morning I could feel my bladder, like you could feel my hard bladder. I was assuming it was my bladder. Um, and so I knew it was full. Um, and then, yeah, about one felt the urge to go pee. And once I sat on the toilet, I thought I might actually poop. And then it was like FER kicked in and I, and it, everything just exploded out at once. And then my placenta was in the toilet and it was like the most joyous occasion, even more joyous than the baby being born at that point. Oh ironically God. enough. <laughs> it's so long you were like just give me the placenta <laughs> and it was very healthy I've got pictures of it um my husband checked it I actually had it encapsulated and consumed it had tincture made um and it's and and ironically enough also so the girl that's supposed to encapsulate was trained by Dona and of course was one that told me, you know, I had a rotting organ inside of me and she could no longer help me. But instead of just saying, Hey, I can't help you. She had to put her fear upon me and, uh, and her experience. And I want to say in your experience, you mean in your training, in your training, because clearly right. you've never experienced this and I'm not a unicorn. Um, right. the girl I ended up having encapsulate her previous client right before me had taken approximately 24 hours to birth her placenta. And I have run into so many people since. Um, it is absolutely just another variation normal. Now, obviously watch for the signs, you know, you have to pay attention when your body is speaking to you. Um, but I was completely healthy, felt great. In fact, I was starting to heal after birth and because it was 26 hours later, the placenta kind of tore me wide open again. So that was fun. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I guess the traumatic part of your birth, the part that she had brought in the fear um, was really the retained placenta. So that was like the big part of your story that you were wanting to share was how the placenta was retained for so long. And you had mentioned many 
factors that would have been a component there, like the mental headspace, not being ready to release a pregnancy. That's very common. If women aren't ready, their body will cling on to that placenta because it is, it is a mind thing as well. And then the shepherd's purse as well. We know that that will cause retainment in some cases. So we don't suggest things like that until the placenta is expelled. Um, that's like really important, basic information kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm glad that you were able to share that. You could see kind of what impacted what and where the fear came and you were able to catch it and be like, no, actually these are the facts and I trust my body and I'm not having any of these signs of infection or any kind of issues of bleeding. So you were able to carry out a physiological third stage at home. Yeah. And you know, as far as the bleeding, I honestly hardly bled until after the placenta was burst. There was that's very little bleeding. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty common for it to be behind, not bleed in between, unless, of course, the body's trying to get it out really hard and it's just not coming. Then typically we'll see lots of blood. But yeah, yours was like a perfect case to like, why would you go in? If we're not having any issues, we right. shouldn't go. And then to be right. told that like, if I went in, I would essentially be treated like an emergency case, you know, like my appendix had burst is, and this is the way that not only did I understand it then, as I have educated myself and just stayed in the birth community and just listened to women's stories, um, other women having went through having them cutting their, or, or, or you know, sur- whether they stick their hand up and remove it that way or surgically removing it. Um, and I know yeah. my doula also told me that if I had ended up going to the hospital, they would have done something about what did she call it? Uh, prolapse rectum. Cause I have bad hemorrhoid. I did long before pregnancy and pregnancy obviously didn't do them any favors, but like I didn't have a prolapse rectum at all. Um, so there was also that fear of them doing things or, you know, like I wasn't, whether I had first or second degree tears, I was healing it naturally. Don't fucking touch me there. You know, there were also those fears of being violated in that way. Once they have you drugged up and under. Yeah. Valid reasons to not want to go in, of course, unless there's an issue and there truly wasn't, there wasn't, was there anything from the actual birth experience that you'd want to share that was different? Of course, from your um, first, it was a vaginal I mean, birth. It was, it was amazing. I was grateful that I had went into labor on my own in the because, like, by the time they gave me a spinal when I was in labor with my son, I was, I was I had to been pretty close to popping him out to look back on it because they literally had to hold me down on the operating table, hold my shoulders to keep me still because I was having active contractions, back to back. Um, so, and it's to look back on it, it's amazing that I wasn't harmed by the spinal because I was in active fucking labor and having active contractions. And the fact that they did all of that really to look back on it angers me to a degree that I can't even verbalize. Um, but again, I don't have any adverse there's, you know, I'm blessed. I'm divinely protected is what I'll say. And that I believe truly, but, um, it was, I had prepared myself as best I could. I knew that when I got to the point where I couldn't handle the pain, that meant that we were close. Um, The water was a a game changer. um, Once I got in the water, Um, I don't feel like I could have done it without the water, but that being said, we can all do the hard things. We don't think we can when we're actually put in the situation, right? We're all stronger than we believe we are. Um, I'd say everything was pretty normal. It wasn't super quick. I was in hard labor about 
let's see. The contractions had probably started like my water broke Saturday morning, but I didn't really have any contractions. Um, all day long Saturday, I felt like I should go nap. I needed to rest. Like my body was telling, and I ignored that uh, because I was like, no, she's not like, cause I wasn't ready to done being pregnant. That's just the long and short of it. Um, my sister, I wanted my sister to be able to be here and she was going to be here in two days. Um, so then that night we went to bed about 10 and I probably maybe was feeling some light contractions by that point. Uh, went to bed, was able to sleep maybe an hour at a time and would wake up to contractions. Once they got bad enough, I'd go sit on the toilet. So that would probably happen about every hour until probably about two or 3 a.m. And I had gotten up and I was going to sit on the toilet again, just breathing through. And my husband woke up and was like, are you okay? And I was like, well, uh, maybe you should start filling up the birth pool. I feel like we're getting close. Um, so he did. I called my doula because she lives an hour away. Um, she got here around, I want to say 4 a.m., 4.15 a.m. And then hard labor would have started, I'd say, an hour or two after that. So I probably got in the birth pool around five or 6 a.m. Um, I don't know if that maybe stalled my labor or just being comfortable and talking in general. Cause when I first got in the pool, um, there was definitely like a, a calm and a relaxation and it made me able to handle <laughs> the contractions better, if that makes sense. Um, as far as being in like the hard part, I don't know, a couple hours. I know she crowned for 20 minutes or more, but it being my first vaginal birth, I feel like she, you know, my body instinctively, as well as my baby knew what they were doing. And she, so, cause I didn't tear. Um, in fact, Lindsay said, I only had, uh, well, her words were micro tears after like, right. You know, right after the birth, when she checked, um, but I, like everything went just as I had read about that it would, you know what I mean? Like as normal as it, as it could have been. Um, the ring of fire was something else. Um, and then, yeah, once she was there, my husband, I wish we had let her come up on her own, like not on her own, but brought her up slowly. And then once we got her face out of the water, I wish we had let her stay in the water and acclimate for like 10 to 15 minutes but I didn't know that then. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then everything went normal. I know she definitely pushed me to get the placenta out. So like after an hour, like she had me squatting and stuff and I had to have somebody else hold the baby, which was difficult because the cord was rather short. Um, and then after it was about the second hour that her fear came into it and she was like, okay, you've not birthed the placenta. We need to do something. Um, so then we took some of the homeopathic remedies for my birth kit. Um, and then she reached out to doula and that's when she was like, okay. Cause I had all the tinctures I had. Um, oh shit. What's the one that you give that's not shepherd's purse. Motherwort. I had motherwort, but before the placenta, Angelica, I had Angelica motherwort after ease, um, womb string. And then I had one other one that I can't remember. Um, and so she did administer the womb string, which was absolutely wrong. And I knew that, but again, in that moment, you're, you're not in your logical mind. You're still in your primal mind. Um, so she did administer that. So then probably we got to like hour three or four 
And at that point she'd been there for over 12 hours. Um, and she was like, okay, if you haven't birthed in after seven hours, I would go to the hospital. And I was like, yeah, that's not, and I was on, I was like, that's not going to happen. Um, and so she did, she was like, okay, you need to watch for these signs. And I think it was after she left that I would have reached out to you, Desiree. Um, and so we did watch out for the signs. My mom and husband were there. Uh, and luckily I will say this, thank goodness that my mother and my husband and everybody that I allowed in my birth space trusted me enough and didn't, I've read so many horror stories and especially with what happened with me retaining the placenta, you know, if somebody had called 911 and and an ambulance had come or something like, I am grateful looking back that my loved ones support me and know better than to question me when I'm confident and sure. Um, Cause I feel like in that way, things could have taken a draft drastically different turn if I didn't have the support system that I have. Um, went to bed that night. Then again, I didn't sleep much cause I was so terrified, terrified of having to go to some place where once you walk in the doors, you lose all control. And also at all the hospitals here in Indianapolis, they have their own police force and have since before the pandemic kit, which is odd, but also terrifying. Um, then yeah, the next day, uh, about two hours before I actually birthed the placenta, my tail grew. Um, so it went from like being at my knees and then it hit my calves. Um, so that was also a reassuring sign that next day, you know, like, oh, my tail grew, that means something's happening. Um, you call it a tail. <laughs> Desiree called it a tail. That's why I called it a tail. <laughs> that is what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wouldn't have known what to call it. I would have probably called it the placenta cord. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but it was definitely a tail. And that part of it was bizarre. Having a tail was bizarre. Like having to go to the bathroom, make sure that the tail was not caught up on anything when I moved and then to have to pee and hang the tail over the toilet. So every time I'd pee, Nate would have to come wash all the blood off the toilet in the toilet bowl for me making sure the, to- the tail wasn't hanging in the toilet when I peed. Um, right. So no, that was, that in and of itself was an interesting, having a tail was crazy. Were you having contractions during this time or like? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When she nursed, oh, I was absolutely having the afterbirth pains. Okay. But not like labor contractions. It was only when you I would say it was almost worse or as bad as the worst of the labor contractions. I know I reached out to Desiree because I was taking Arnica and Hypericum. Um, and Desiree was like, listen, I don't ever take over the counter anything. She was like, but sometimes for after pains, I take, take ibuprofen. So, so I did do that because they were pretty severe. Um, so yeah, I had those, but wow my placenta and I'm assuming it still had to have been attached to my uterine wall with the whole tail. Mm -hmm. So I can't explain the, uh, science or, you know what I mean? The, um, physiological aspect of what all went on in my body at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you like push with any of them? Like during those contractions that you were having that were pretty intense, did you try squatting and bearing down? A couple of times I did. And nothing would ever happen. I did try the light yanking. Um, Interesting. But obviously, but I honestly think a lot of that happened 
I mean, maybe once or twice before she gave me the shepherd's purse, but then a lot of, you know, it was after because once that two hour mark hit, because that first hour I was definitely in bliss. Like probably we stayed in the pool for a good 20 minutes after she was born, just getting back in my body, so to speak. Yeah. I wonder about your cervix. Like, did it stay open that whole day? Cause I've seen them close up pretty significantly within a few hours. Um, but your placenta was able so that's, it's, yeah, it's amazing how the body works and how it's different for everybody. It's just interesting. I mean, because I don't know in like, just thinking about body physiology in general, like I'm not sure how close like the cervix is to the bladder and all of those things. I really need a look because I would like to understand kind of what happened. Um, yeah. The bladder can actually hold in a placenta. So that's where I believe a catheter can be helpful. Cause if you can't pee because one's holding the other up and you're not able to empty your bladder, it's not draining. That can be helpful in that kind of situation, which, you know, doulas aren't going to have those things. Um, but yeah, Available. that could have been what was up. Like well, if and you say that, okay. So in all of my research and learning, I listen to the free birth society podcast a lot. And one mm-hmm. of the, I think that was this podcast. One of the stories was about a woman in LA who was a birth worker. I don't think she was a midwife. I think maybe she was just a doula, but she was maybe a placenting. I don't know. She was a birth worker and she was in labor and she's going to have a home birth and her bladder was holding back the baby from being able to be born. The baby couldn't descend enough. Her bladder was too full. So she went into the hospital and said, I just want a catheter. I need to pee. Like I'm in labor. She knew it. They sent her home multiple times. Like the second or third time she went back. Um, she's like, listen, you know, I, 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 and she's probably been in labor for a couple days at this point. And they finally admit her. And I guess they gave her the catheter. And for some reason they gave her an HIV test. And they got a false positive that they got a false positive that she was positive for HIV. So they separated her from her baby for days and days and days. She couldn't get out of the hospital. I know she sued them. It was a big, big thing. So the whole, the fact that you even mentioned catheter, that did cross my mind the next morning, but knowing that in the back of my head, there's probably no way I would have sought help for that because you know what I mean? Because of having read that story. Did you end up going pee? Did you end up peeing or how did that go? I mean, I think I was able to trickle a little bit, even that morning, but not enough to empty it. Okay. Interesting. Taylor, do you have any questions or anything that you would want to ask? Um, the only thing I wanted to touch on was that rotting placenta thing. So you said you consumed your placenta, right? So mm-hmm. did get like terribly sick and go into food poisoning? Absolutely not. I think they're little magic pills and I think (laughs) they significantly helped my healing. I can absolutely state they significantly helped my energy levels. Um, If I took them right now, I bet my milk would fill up more than it is right now and I bet I would leak. That is so awesome. (laughs) So did you you felt comfortable and confident that like your placenta had no issues with having been in your uterus for that amount of time. Like, did that cross your mind or you just felt intuitively? I mean, obviously we checked it and, and just seeing all the placentas I have seen definitely since my birth, since the so-called, um, that needle thing has come out, you know, 
um, especially all the placentas, my placenta, it looked, it was beautiful. It looked healthy. Um, so yeah, no, I had no issues. And I, I mean, it was intuitively, but also there was logic to it in, you know, cause if it say, say it came out in pieces or something like that, I don't know that I would have consumed it. Um, but it wasn't, it was a beautiful thriving. In fact, the placenta was far bigger than her head. And I, if there was any kind of tearing, it came with the placenta, definitely not with her birth. Okay. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, so what did you feel during that? Like you said that if there was any tearing, it would have come with the placenta. What made you feel that way? Oh, it hurt. It hurt when it came out. I mean, it was definitely FER. I couldn't have stopped it, but it, it was painful. <laughs> um, okay. There so was almost like a ring of fire moment, but it was, but it was like over in the blink of an eye. Mm. Wow. Um, and then afterwards, because, because I had been able to trickle pee that next morning, it had stopped burning already when I peed. Okay. And then after the placenta was born, uh, it really hurt to pee even more so than it did the, mm-hmm. the right after birth. Right. So like the micro tears probably had split yes. open again. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. All of that oh. makes sense. I remember with the placenta, your initial placenta encapsulation girl she wouldn't do it because she said that it wasn't safe to be in there as if yeah, it was like I had a rotting the- organ yeah it wasn't sitting out on the counter though like it's very different when it's still inside of your body and likely still attached to the uterine wall um very different than sitting on the counter in a bowl absolutely yeah which I glad- honestly tried to educate her the next day at hoping you know that like like my doula learned from it and is going to take the experience and become better for it that this girl could do the same and she essentially told me hey you're a unicorn and thank god you're so lucky because somebody else would have died gross that's so <laughs> super gross but she was donor certified so honestly anytime in birthing in general somebody I that had that kind of certification I'm like mm, I'm gonna stay wary of you I've actually reached out to multiple people on Instagram who call themselves placenta specialists asking if they've ever heard of somebody taking as long as I did. Most of them say no. And I always give people the benefit of the doubt and hope somebody really does want to learn and means what they say. And the two that I've um, communicated with so far, when I tell them my story, they pretty much never say anything to me again. Wow. That's so sad. It really is. It's it's common. That's what they're trained to believe. So they believe it without and you know you're doing what you can do with your story so hopefully it really helps somebody else when their encapsulator tells them that they have a rotting organ in them <laughs> you know you know that. And that, uh, that somebody in that scope would even say that it's just so a it's so far out of your scope b what kind of human being are you you know if you have those kind of fears because there's no evidence or facts behind any of that you know right Wow. Is there anything that you would do differently? Like knowing what you know now, looking back, is there anything that you would have changed? Anything else you would have tried or just Um, any other tips? I would have read the, uh, there's a little book that comes in the homeopathic birth kit. I would have read that prior to labor and utilize some of those, I think. Um, Because there's a lot of those homeopathic remedies that can help your contractions in different ways. Um, 
so I, I would have liked to have been more educated on that and we'll carry that knowledge going forward. Cause I read it from cover to cover multiple times after I gave birth. Um, next time, or if I ever get to do it a next time, or I definitely recommend to people cause I didn't take it as seriously putting up affirmations. Um, I would have put up like a chart that said what tinctures I had and what they were to be used for. So there would have been zero confusion. Um, as far as what did happen to me, um, let's see. Oh, and I would have made sure I had a music playlist, multiple music playlists, one for like labor before it got serious, one for like transition and then one for the pushing stage. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. Did you have any other questions for her, Desiree? No, no, I don't. Okay, awesome. Thanks for tuning in to this awesome episode of Birthkeeper Banter. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you can get notifications for future episodes. Again, for classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Brought to you by Herbal Training. Thank you.